Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Finding someone who shares your values in today's culture isn't easy. And being single around the holidays isn't easy either. That's why Catholic Singles created a website and app where single Catholics can meet and get to know each other that focuses on values, activities, and interests. For over two decades, Catholic Singles has been fostering deep relationships because your faith matters. Start today at catholicsingles.com. Ignatius Press is That's pleased Catholic to announce Singles. the first national book club created for Catholic schools. Ignatius Book Club for Catholic Schools was launched to support Catholic schools' dedication to forming the whole child, mind, body, and spirit. Ignatius Book Club for Schools partnered with leading publishers of children's literature to offer the best books and educational materials for all reading levels and interests. Head to ignatiusbookclub.com podcast and find wholesome books that delight, inspire, and enrich. CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic healthcare ministry to provide an affordable health sharing solution rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.com. That's mycatholichealthcare.com. CMF Curo, healthcare fully alive. Fantasy stories help us to experience truth by engaging our emotions. When we are moved to laughter, tears, tension, or mystery, our hearts open, and as our heart opens, so does our mind. If there is a sense of mystery in the story, our mind works to find the solution, and in that process, we learn a new truth. When the emotion is fear, our heart thumps and we become vulnerable, and that vulnerability opens us up to new modes of awareness. Fantasy stories therefore take us to a borderland between this world and the next. That is why so many of them also take us into the emotions of mystery, fear, and even terror. Horror stories are even a subdivision of fantasy literature. Whether the story is told verbally, read, or watched on film or TV, horror stories will always be there as one of the ways we tread with fear into the twilight zone. Stories of human transformation into vicious or fierce animals reminds us that we can descend into a beastly condition. Werewolves, vampires, and other tales of transmogrification are a constant feature of fantasy stories. Whenever we go where the wild things are, we tiptoe into the dark. So far, Father Longenecker's true fairy tales have been lighthearted and whimsical. In this episode, he tells a story written by George MacDonald, which would chill anyone's bones who sits around a campfire in the woods at night. Here is Father Longenecker reading George MacDonald's The Grey Wolf. The Grey Wolf by George MacDonald One evening twilight in spring, a young English student who had wandered northwards as far as the outlying fragments of Scotland, called the Orkney and Shetland Islands, found himself on a small island of the latter group, caught in a storm of wind and hail, which had come on suddenly. It was vain to look about for any shelter, for not only did the storm entirely obscure the landscape, but there was nothing around him save a desert wilderness. At length, however, as he walked on for mere walking sake, he found himself on the verge of a cliff and saw, over the brow of it, a few feet below him, a ledge of rock where he might find some shelter from the blast. Letting himself down by his hands, he alighted upon something that crunched beneath his tread and found the bones of many small animals scattered about in front of a little cave in the rock. He went in and sat upon a stone. The storm increased in violence, and as the darkness grew, he became uneasy, 
He had parted from his companions on the opposite side of the island, and it added to his uneasiness that they must be full of apprehension about him. At last there came a lull in the storm, and the same instant he heard a footfall, stealthy and light, as that of a wild beast upon the bones at the mouth of the cave. He started in some fear. Before he had time to think, however, the face of a woman appeared in the opening. She was startled at the sound of his voice. He, he could not see her well because she was turned towards the darkness of the cave. Uh, will you tell me how to find my way across the moor to Shilness? You cannot find it tonight, she answered with a smile that bewitched him, revealing the whitest of teeth. What am I to do then? My mother will give you shelter, but that is all she has to offer. And that is far more than I expected a minute ago. I shall be most grateful. She turned in silence and left the cave, and the youth followed. She was barefooted, and her pretty brown feet went cat-like over the sharp stones as she led the way down a rocky path to the shore. Her garments were scanty and torn, and her hair blew in the wind. She seemed about twenty-five years old, lithe and small. Her short fingers kept clutching and pulling nervously at her skirts as she went. Her face was very gray in complexion and worn, but delicately formed and smooth-skinned. Her thin nostrils were tremulous as eyelids, and her lips, whose curves were faultless, had no color to give them sign of indwelling blood. At the foot of the cliff they came upon a little hut leaning against it, and having for its inner apartment a natural hollow within it. Smoke was spreading over the face of the rock, and the grateful odor of food gave hope to the hungry student. His guide opened the door of the cottage. He followed her in and saw a woman bending over a fire in the middle of the floor. On the fire lay a large fish broiling. The daughter spoke a few words, and the mother turned and welcomed the stranger. She had an old and very wrinkled but honest face, and she looked troubled. She dusted the only chair in the cottage and placed it for him by the side of the fire, opposite the one window, from whence he saw a little patch of yellow sand, over which the waves of the sea spread themselves out listlessly. Under this window there was a bench, upon which the daughter threw herself in an unusual posture, resting her chin upon her hand. A moment after, the youth caught the first glimpse of her blue eyes. They were fixed upon him with a strange look of greed, almost like craving. But as if aware that they belied or betrayed her, she dropped them instantly. The moment she veiled them, her face, notwithstanding its colorless complexion, was almost beautiful. When the fish was ready, the old woman wiped the table, steadied it upon the uneven floor, and covered it with a piece of fine table linen. She then laid the fish on a wooden platter and invited the guest to help himself. Seeing no other provision, he pulled from his pocket a hunting knife and divided a portion of the fish, offering it to the mother first. Come, my lamb, said the old woman, and the daughter approached the table, but her nostrils and mouth quivered with disgust. The next moment she turned and hurried from the hut. She doesn't like fish, said the old woman, and I haven't got anything else to give her, I'm afraid. She doesn't seem in very good health. The woman answered only with a sigh, and they ate their fish with the help of a little rye bread. 
As they finished their supper, the youth heard the sound as of the pattering of a dog's feet upon the sand close to the door. But before he had time to look out of the window, the door opened, and the young woman entered. She looked better, perhaps from having just washed her face. She drew a stool to the corner of the fire opposite him. But as she sat down to his bewilderment and even his horror, the student spied a single drop of blood on her white skin within her torn dress. The woman brought out a jar of whiskey, put a rusty old kettle on the fire, and took her place in front of it. As soon as the water boiled, she proceeded to make some toddy in a wooden bowl. Meantime, the youth could not take his eyes off the young woman, so that at length he found himself fascinated, or even rather bewitched. But as soon as he met a stolen glance out of those lovely eyes, his soul shuddered within him. The lovely face and craving eyes alternated fascination and repulsion. The mother placed the bowl in his hands. He drank sparingly and passed it to the girl. She lifted it to her lips, and as she tasted, looked at him. He thought the drink must have been drugged and have affected his brain, because suddenly her hair smoothed itself back and drew her forehead backwards with it, and the lower part of her face projected toward the bowl, revealing her dazzling teeth in a strange prominence. But the same moment the vision vanished, he returned the vessel to her mother, and rising, she hurried out of the cottage. Then the old woman pointed to a bed of heather in one corner and with a murmured apology, and the student, wearied with both the fatigues of the day and the strangeness of the night, threw himself upon it. Wrapped in his cloak, he listened to the wind, and the moment he lay down, the storm began afresh. Unable to sleep, he lay listening to the uproar which grew in violence till the spray was dashing against the window. At length the door opened, and the young woman came in, made up the fire, drew the bench before it, and lay down in the same strange posture, with her chin propped on her hand and elbow, and her face turned towards the youth. The mother had disappeared. Drowsiness crept over him. A movement of the bench roused him, and he fancied he saw some four-footed creature as large as a large dog trot quietly out of the door. Gazing fixedly through the darkness, he thought he saw the eyes of the damsel encountering his. But a glow from the falling together of the remains of the fire revealed clearly enough that the bench was vacant. Wondering what could have made her go out in such a terrible storm, he fell asleep. In the middle of the night, he felt a pain in his shoulder, came broad awake, and saw the gleaming eyes and grinning teeth of some beast, an animal close to his face. Its claws were in his shoulder, and its mouth in the act of seeking his throat. It was growling terribly, and before it had fixed its fangs, however, he had its, its throat in one hand and sought his knife with the other. A terrible struggle followed, but regardless of the tearing claws, he found and opened his knife. He had made one futile stab and was drawing it for a shore, when with a spring of the whole box, in one wildly contorted effort and a terrible howl, the creature twisted its neck from his hold, and with something betwixt a scream and a growl, darted from him. Again he heard the door open, again the wind blew upon him, and it continued blowing. A sheet of spray dashed across the floor and over his face. He jumped from the couch and bounded to the door. It was a wild night, dark and dark. But for the flash of whiteness from the waves as they broke, 
within a few yards of the cottage. The wind was raving and the rain pouring down from the air. A gruesome sound as of mingled weeping and howling came from somewhere in the dark. He turned again into the hut and closed the door, but he could find no way of securing it. The lamp was nearly out and he could not be certain whether the form of the young woman was upon the bench or not. Overcoming a strong repugnance, he approached it and put out his hands. There was nothing there. He sat down and waited for the daylight. He dared not sleep any more. When the day dawned at length, he went out yet again and looked around. The morning was dim and gusty and gray. The wind had fallen, but the waves were tossing wildly. At length he heard a movement at the cottage, and by and by the voice of the old woman called to him. You're up early, sir. I doubt you didn't sleep well. Not very well. But where's your daughter? Oh, she's not awake yet. I'm afraid I have but a poor breakfast for you. But you'll take a dram and a bit of fish. It's all I've got. He sat down at the table, and while they were eating, the daughter came in, but turned her face away and went to the further end of the hut. When she came forward after a minute or two, the youth saw that her hair was drenched and her face whiter than before. She looked ill and faint, and when she raised her eyes, all their fierceness had vanished and sadness had taken its place. Her neck was now covered with a cotton handkerchief. She was modestly attentive to him and no longer shunned his gaze. He was gradually yielding to the temptation of braving another night in the hut and seeing what would follow when the old woman spoke. The weather will be broken all day, sir. You'd better be going or your friends will leave the island without you. Before he could answer, he saw such a beseeching glance on the face of the girl crying out for help that he hesitated, confused. Glancing at the mother, he saw the flash of anger in her face. She rose up and went to the daughter and approached her with a heavy hand as if to strike. The young woman stooped her head with a cry. He darted round the table to interpose between them, but the mother had caught hold of the girl. The handkerchief had fallen from her neck, and the youth saw five blue bruises on her lovely throat, the marks of four fingers and the thumb of a left hand. With a cry of horror, he darted from the house, but as he reached the door, he turned. His hostess was lying dead on the floor, and a huge gray wolf came bounding after him. There was no weapon at hand. Instinctively, he set himself firm, leaning a little forward with half-outstretched arms, hands curved, ready to clutch again at the throat upon which he had left those pitiful marks. But the creature, as she sprung, eluded his grasp, and just as he expected to feel her fangs in his neck, he found a woman weeping on his bosom, sobbing with tears, her arms around his neck. The next instant, the gray wolf broke from him and bounded howling up the cliff. Recovering himself as best he might, the youth followed, for it was the only way to the moor above, across which he must now make his way to find his friends. All at once he heard the sound of a crunching of bones, not as if a creature was eating them, but as if they were ground by the teeth of rage and disappointment. Looking up, he saw close above him the mouth of the little cavern in which he had taken refuge the day before. Summoning all his resolution, he passed it slowly and softly, and from within, in the darkness, came the sounds of a mingled moaning, weeping, and growling. 
Having reached the top, he ran at full speed for some distance across the moor. Before stopping, he ventured to look behind him, and when at length he did so, he saw against the sky the girl standing on the edge of the cliff, wringing her hands and watching him. One solitary wail crossed the space between, but she made no attempt to follow, and he turned and reached the opposite shore in safety. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Grey Wolf and were not too scared. George MacDonald was a Christian pastor. Why do you think he would write a story like The Grey Wolf? You might like to ask yourself, what would make a person become or behave like a monster? What is it that lifts us from a beastly condition? Remember, these true fairy tales are podcasted free of charge, but they are not free to produce and distribute. You can read Father Longenecker's blog posts and view the rest of his podcast channels at his website. Make sure to go to his blog, Standing on My Head, at DwightLongenecker.com. If you would like to make a donation to help with the expense of these stories, you can use the donate button in the right sidebar of the website. To learn how you can be a donor subscriber, click the subscribe tab at the top of the homepage. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com.